Good morning and welcome to the Dungeon Musings Podcast. My name is Kevin Madison and I will be your friendly Dungeon Muser today. Uh, today I uh, am going to talk a little bit about um, modern games versus old school games and provide a very specific kind of perspective, not perspective, but lens through which I think to to examine them. Because one thing I've been thinking about uh, lately, I've been running um, in the past... Uh, I mean, to be honest, for the past year, I've been running an awful lot of um, Pathfinder 2nd Edition, uh, and I have uh, been reading a, a fair amount of 5th Edition material uh, in the last little bit, and I've been running quite a bit of Advanced Dungeons & Dragons 2nd Edition, uh, as well as um, the uh, Ad- Astonishing Swordsmen and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, an old-school uh, or an old-school like Renaissance game that is, to be honest, my favorite old-school Renaissance game. And one thing that, that I, um, I've i been thinking about is, one I guess one way of thinking about these types of games is short-term game versus long-term game. And that's kind of what I want to talk about is uh, it's just one of the ways you can look at the differences between the two different games to help figure out what game is, is the game that is right for you and, and your group. Uh, so that's what we're talking about today. Let's get to the episode. All right, so this idea was actually prompted by um, a recent change I made to the schedule on the uh, Dungeon Musings YouTube channel. So we, uh, those who may not be familiar I, uh, or may not be aware, I also host a uh, YouTube channel called the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, though I imagine that if you're a fan of this podcast that you are already aware of that. Um, we do a bunch of um, actual play games on that channel and... Um, what I decided to do uh, in response to this is at the time of recording, we are just finished the second week of the effectively the the work from home uh, order that we've got in place in uh, in Canada uh, for or at least in the province of Alberta uh, in response to the uh, COVID nineteen crisis. Um, we I fortunately have I've not not been sick myself, um, but we have had someone in the office who had um, the coronavirus. And we've uh, we have seen a um, yeah I mean this is affecting the entire globe at this point too and people all over are, are stuck at home and stuck inside including the roster of players that I normally play with and I was trying to think of a way to uh, respond to try and provide I can't I'm not a doctor um, I can't you know uh, cure this I can't you know. Uh, in, in my capacity as a broad, I don't say broadcaster, that sounds so fucking pompous, but as a uh, streamer, I guess, uh, or a YouTuber, I was um, trying to think of a way to not only give some extra content or some unified content, I guess, apart from the usual, uh, but also provide ways to kind of, you know, my player base to, to blow off some steam. One of those ideas was the, um, uh, what do you call it, the uh, play-by-post game that I had mentioned in the last uh, episode, and that uh, has actually uh, since died on the vine. Um, and I'll talk about that in the say to play session or section of this uh, uh, this episode. And uh, what I also decided to do is for every other game we run on the weekend. Uh, for normally I alternate Saturdays between different games, and uh, Sundays I alternate between different games and, and different groups as well too. I decided to put canvas the idea of putting everything on hiatus uh, for the duration and just running one thing that as many people as, the, as they want to jump into 
and the I picked AD&D Second Edition. Uh, I had a couple games in mind that that could have been, but AD&D Second is something that has been very, very good with big groups. We've had eight players regularly in our uh, Night Below campaign, so I figured that was very easy uh, easy to do. It was a game that everyone had free access to. I didn't need to worry about either sharing PDFs or buying copies for people or having people trying to track down copies or buy copies themselves. Um, and uh, also I had a very short campaign uh, for, in the form of this adventure called uh, Legacy of the Crystal Shard that was published during the D&D Next kind of interregnum uh, between when uh, D&D 4th was kind of dead but not quite, well no, it was dead and they were going through the playtest for D&D Next. And it's a, um, yeah, it's great. I mean, I'm not normally a Forgotten Realms guy but this particular adventure is is really cool it's got incredible art in it incredible maps lots of great handouts that i can inc- incorporate into roll 20 quite easily so it was just it felt like a good uh, good thing and, and the big group and i, I already ha- I had a bit of an uproar from some people in in uh the uh well i guess the other reason that was in response to is i started hearing from people who were stuck at home who had been players in the games before who now were suddenly finding them there you know themselves with time to uh, to come back in so I was like, all right, this will be a good way to incorporate some of those, you know, like wayward sheep, as it were, as a really fucking pejorative way, or not pejorative, a condescending way of putting, describing those players. I'm very grateful to have them back. But um, so I, I made that decision. It just seemed like that was the way to get the most people in, the most people were familiar with it. And it also gives people at home um, a campaign with a short with a set length to it. There's a beginning, uh, middle, and end to that uh, campaign. So there will be something they can follow and, and, and you know, um, digest in the in the length of time that we're all kind of dealing with this current crisis. And at present, it really, like, to be honest, it, it doesn't look... We're, we're not clear what's going to happen. Like, we're not clear how long this is going to last. Um, we're not... Uh, I, I know for, for this point, uh, we are not... Uh, or at the time of recording, at least, we're not... Um, even at the the worst uh, part, at least in, in North America. So, so anyway, and then there's going to be the economic impact afterwards, and we don't know what that's going to be just yet. So this seemed like a good way to do that. And I um, I'm not going to talk about the the people who were just uh, flat out like, no, I'm not interested. Which is, I mean, different strokes for different folks. But I had one player who is a someone who actually asked me to, to join in this thing and I said okay well I don't you know and, and went through the list of games that I had going on and I didn't have room in uh, the games that I had uh, going so I was like well this seems like a good compromise this, this particular player is one of the reasons why I decided to transition to this and um, they're also a big Forgotten Realms fan so I thought oh this is a natural connection so I sent over the uh, house rules that I've got that I play with for a Night Below and the uh, rulebook for uh, for Golden Glory, which is the kind of open source version of uh, AD and D Second Edition, and the player got about to be saying, "No, nah, this doesn't really seem like something I'd enjoy. I don't like the idea of training, and I don't like the idea of X, Y, Z." And you know, I'm not sure this particular player has actually played AD and D Second Edition um, since you know we were in high school. Uh, and they're my age, and I'm fairly certain they didn't bother to look at any of the links that I sent to the current games to say, hey, this is what it's like at the table. And it got me thinking about um, a way of, of possibly looking at it. I, if I sound a little pissy, I mean, I'm a little pissy because, like, A, like, you didn't actually give it a try, so how the hell would you know whether or not you liked it or didn't like it? That just annoyed me, and uh, if you're looking for any game to join, don't, you know, don't fucking waste my time by 
asking me or bothering me about the uh, you know the game if if you've got a you're only going to play specific games ask about that but anyway I mean I am still a little annoyed about that but what again like whatever it's different strokes for different folks but the the fact that the player didn't actually play the game is what I think is still irking me about this it's it's the same people it's like kids who say they don't like food when they haven't even tried it it's just anyone who's a parent has gone through that before um but anyway the talking about condescending ways of talking about your players eh? anyway the um the reason I, i i what i got thinking about is how this particular player one of the things they said as well was oh i want to be able to be using spells and powers all the time i couldn't go back to using only one spell per day and it's like well you know i think what the problem is is the, the by again this is because the player didn't bother to actually watch any of our actual plays to see what the actual play is like and what the game is about and what they were bringing forward with them was an expectation of how third edition fourth edition and fifth edition which the and pathfinder second which are the games that this, this particular player is the most familiar with how they handle things which is your assets of your character are going to be used through a series of encounters that will exhaust those assets and then you will use those assets in an interesting way and then you'll have a chance to recharge you know and that is just what that game does is it maximizes the short-term attention span it's individual encounters and because in many of those games you can recover many of those assets in between um, like, you know, your uh, recoverable encounter abilities in 4th uh, edition, like the various things you can do to recover in a short rest in 5th edition, and like the things you can recover in, uh, like your focus points and things like that, in a Pathfinder 2nd edition. Um, if you're not familiar with those games, forgive me for this, this particular episode is not about those particulars, so um, I, I'm not going to really go into much more detail other than to say what they do, is they allow you to kind of use most of your stuff in the short term and then expect that you're going to have enough time to recover those assets before the next uh, call for those assets is going to happen. So what um, what that does is it focuses all your attention on the short-term play. Players of AD&D or Astonishing Swordsman and Swordsman of Hyperborea, you know that it is a longer-term game. The game is not really focused on getting back to center and when i'm so for the purpose of this discussion what i'm talking about being focused i mean the time between you start fresh with all your abilities and all your hit points and all your resources and as you go through the the cycle of the game you expend those resources and then you go back to the default spot where you have all your resources that cycle time is so much faster in new games than it is in old games and in particular, like one of the things the players said, I make use of a, a variant of the training rules in um, AD&D. Not in all my campaigns, but in uh, the Night Below campaign, and I will be using this in any future sandbox campaign because I really, really like the way that they they affect the campaign. They have a really substantial and interesting effect in the campaign. Um, but anyway, the, um, the, the player particularly was like, oh, I don't want to play with that. I don't have to track down trainers. I don't want to have to do this. And so that part of the game, the, the part of the training and whatnot, is also part of the slower pace of play and the longer term, um, you know, the longer uh, term game. Um, what you get by having those things happen over a, a longer length of time and B, requiring the players to engage in other aspects of the world beyond just 
uh, fight, recover stuff, you know, and then maybe do some role-playing as well, too. Because, I mean, there are, you know, role-playing. But rules is written for all these modern games. There's not, like, you know, there, there are optional rules you can bolt on, but there's not really functional faction rules or things like that. Um, you know, that, that really... I, I know there are rules like that in uh, AD&D 5th, uh, in the DMG, but they're not really all that good. And they do require uh, quite a bit of, uh, I think to, to be a proper set of rules, uh, you would need to to uh, add to them. I know that um, uh, Pathfinder First has an option like that as well, too, in the Ultimate Intrigue rules. But, yeah, I mean, it uh, th- those aren't used by everybody, and, and um, they also require a fair amount of, uh, of uh, DM, um, a DM to set up how things are for that particular game. But, anyway, the... The reason I, I, I um, think about these, I was thinking about these, is how, you know, that's what, what that player was looking for was everything in the short term. You know, they were looking for immediate powers they could use all the time in, because they were expecting that what it was going to be is a series of combat encounters and they want to be able to use those, those magical powers all the, all the time. You know, cantrips and a, and a host of spells and, and whatever. And... I've talked before about how that affects the pace of play. You know, the more tactical depth you put to your game, the longer it takes to go through tactical encounters. And that means there's less time you spend in, uh, you know, in other parts of your game. We had uh, a session last night of our AD&D campaign that went 36 rounds. And uh, we played for four hours, uh, but 36 rounds, uh, as well as um, that... that uh, had some downtime, had our break, um, downtime after the fight, but what a crazy, crazy session, like really exciting. Um, I can't imagine how long it would take me to go through 36 rounds in a game like Pathfinder 2nd or another, probably at least double, at least I would need eight hours to get through that much stuff. Um, and pace of play or speed of play isn't the only metric by which to measure the success or, or whatever of a campaign, obviously, or a game. Everything is always going to be, you know, right fit for the right job. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, um, it was, uh, it was interesting playing, uh, or it was not interesting playing, I guess, you know, one of the things to, to consider, uh, that I'm thinking about is, you know, one of the ways to understand, um, the upside to running these, the modern games versus the old school games, uh, is, where the focus of the of the game's attention is, and where that cycle from, you know, uh, from fresh through to uh, play back to fresh again, your your cycle time to get back to to your default position of having all your resources and having all your assets is so much faster in these games. And what that does is it does not allow for a sense of time passing. You know, in um, the Midgard World Book, uh, published by Kobold Press, they introduce a bunch of optional rules for allowing for further time passing, which is to um, to basically say that time passes between adventures as the same it does in in the, in the real world, and it's it's a neat idea, neat little handy, uh, quick way of um, of trying to you know hand wave your way through uh, or uh, to measure actual time passing. Uh, but the reason you kind of need to do that in these new games is because unless you're like implementing rigorous travel time or whatnot, you don't need the recovery time in these modern games the way you do in old school games. And because you're not training either, there's there's no need to spend time on that or money for that matter. You know, you don't. There's no money sink for whatever. So you're spending all your money on what? 
training, downtime, maybe um, building, some like making items if you're in uh, Pathfinder 1 or 2. So, uh, you know, I, I wonder whether the reason why some of these modern games struggle so much to figure out what to do with downtime is partly because the game doesn't expect you to, to be spending some downtime recovering from your adventures. You know, um, healing in AD&D is one hit point per day when you're healing naturally. And when you're healing by, uh, in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea seems incredibly generous by by comparison where you're rolling your hit dice, like the, 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 the um, whatever is the, the number for your hit dice plus your constitution modifier. Um, that is a much more generous uh, recovery than what you get in AD&D. But the one hit point per day with AD&D, it requires the, I don't know, it just, it forces the, the, the story to sort, sort of work at a better pace. You have those walking wounded uh, aspects of the campaign and it gives the campaign a sense of time. And, you know, that's one thing I, I that was a, a, one of the reasons why I was a little frustrated with the player's response to it. It's just like, you're not seeing what the value of that stuff is. All you're seeing is the nuisance of like, well, I don't want to be doing this and not appreciating that. Well, hold on. This is something that actually adds to the overall experience. It actually, there is consequences that come from that. You motivate your character by virtue of having to go and get money, you know, and hoping that, uh, oh, shit, I found my treasure. And you're not spending that treasure on, you know, just uh, getting new magic items or shit like that. That stuff is found um, or bartered for or try to, you know, find it as a, as a reward from some patron. Um it forces you to, you know, take your breath and, uh, you know, and make your way through the the time of the story at a more gradual pace. Now, if that isn't your thing, if that's not what you want, if you want that fast recharge and you, you're fast sort of back, you know, cycle through, I guess, uh, to get back to default, um, then, yeah, I mean, like, the modern games are going to be the ones that will offer that. And for all the criticisms that... Um, people who offer fourth edition of being very video gamey man like these games are really you know um the the way that the recovery works in fifth edition in pathfinder second and pathfinder to be honest to a degree uh it is much more of an episodic kind of thing where you don't carry the consequence of your previous sessions in terms of expended resources in terms of expended um uh, you know lost hit points lost other resources uh, you don't carry those with you the way that you do in older school games because it's just you do have that point of like, and now we're back to start. There are story things that can go forward, but that's true of any game, you know. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that that is one interesting thing to think of is how the the games alter the the experience at the table and the and the pace of the story at the table and also the incentives too. You know, the the training thing has been really interesting because it has really focused the characters on watching those dimes, watching those dollars, making sure they got enough for it. And it really makes a distinction between the multi-class characters and the single-class characters. Single-class characters have a lot easier time with this stuff because they're not paying to train in two different classes. And uh, with how fast they're all seem, they all seem to be going up at about the same pace anyway. So it's not really, like in our AD&D second campaign, I mean, so it's not like one of the, you know... Um, that the it's unfair to the multi-class characters because they're getting the benefit of two different classes, um, you know, with uh, hybrid hit points, 
um, as they're going up and, and they seem to be about the same level as everyone else. So it's, it seems like it's a, a fair balancing trick, but I also, I also really love that it takes time, you know, and it means that the world is moving too. Well, because the characters in our, in our second and uh, our night below campaign had to train for upwards of like f- uh, four weeks for some of the multi-class guys, uh, they actually had to basically wait a month and they gave the, their adversaries in this, pl- um, in the stronghold a month to recover. So that was pretty cool. Like, you know, it isn't a matter of going back to town and then going immediately back the way it is in some modern games or just going to camp out, get all your stuff back and be fresh and ready to go back in. Um, it gives the campaign a, f- a feeling of history that modern games, you have to invent that. You have to invent reasons to stall because the, the mechanics don't otherwise force the players to do that because you cycle back to default so quickly. So... And again, like that's not, I don't mean that to be a comment on why the, you know, why one is better than the other. It's just that this seems to be what, it's one way of looking at the difference between those two. And it also would explain, I think is is a good way of understanding why old school games suit themselves to like sandbox style play better than what some of the modern games do. Because the cycle uh, of back to default takes longer in these old school games. So uh, sandboxing and, and wandering around in the wilds has more risk because there is an attrition quality to that activity. There's a, a point where you're not just able to catch a, you know, a few Zs, avoid random encounters for one night, and then you're boom, back freshes, you know, as a daisy. Um, and that, that's probably why those, like I said, those, those games struggle with trying to recreate that stuff. Why Pathfinder 2 doesn't do a very good job of, of sandboxing, um, and by sandbox, I mean the traditional type where you're going out and you're in the wilderness and you ha- you're going to have to go back to town to kind of recharge, refresh. That's just not the case with Pathfinder or with uh, 5e for that matter. So anyway, um, I want to put a pin in that right now, uh, and then I will return to this uh, a little later and I'll add a little more, see if I can add a little more of, uh, you know, more thoughts. Cause what I, what, what I'm thinking as well is that this is not a discrete line between the two of them. There are ways you could alter or adapt your your game to suit the style of play. In the same way that I've adapted AD&D 2nd uh, and Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer Type of Aurea to play a little more, so it is a little more forgiving than what uh, the games as written are. So more on this soon. All right, so last section, segment I had uh, talked about or at least I've framed the an analysis of the difference between modern games and old school games as the cycle time between uh, your character's default position with all the resources and the uh, uh, the recovery time that is required to restore them them back to that position. And I, what I suggested was that there is a consequence of added history that comes from forcing players to sort of slow down and. I, I kind of want to expand on that a little more before I, I dive into how to exp- how to connect those two. You know, um, obviously, I mean, my my particular bias uh, lately has been to towards these old school games uh, more so. I do love Pathfinder Second Edition, D and D Fifth. I'm not uh, to be honest; like, I, I actively did not enjoy playing it as in comparison to other games when I played it last year. And there's not, every time I go back to it, I love the idea of it. There's so many great supplements for it. There's so much great content. It's just the the system leaves me flat and I feel like I would 
There are other games. It, it feels like it occupies a, uh, a spot uh, where it isn't quite any of the other things, but it's sort of like the other things. So it's sort of like AD&D 2nd. Uh, it's sort of like um, the uh, you know Pathfinder 1. Uh, it's sort of like Pathfinder 2 uh, in the sense it's got some tactical depth to it. Um, it's streamlined, easy to play, like it, at AD&D, AD&D 2nd, and it feels like... Um, it's got some complexity to, to character building or custom building the way that a Pathfinder 1 does, but it doesn't quite... The, the melange of those different elements don't feel satisfying to me together, and it, like anything, it's going to be a matter of taste, and obviously the game is such a hugely popular game. I think it's, it is definitely very easy to pick up and play, but I wonder whether part of the popularity as well is that specific type of short-term play. It's for it's focused on the short term. And I'm not saying that there aren't games that you know Critical Role is a great example of of what how you can play a long term campaign as well. Same thing with you know uh, the Adventure Paths for Pathfinder uh, first or second edition. Same thing with the Starfinder you know uh, Adventure Paths. All of those suit that kind of um, play. But the thing that the, the system doesn't do is it doesn't. None of those systems have byproducts or, you know, uh, corollaries or corollary consequences that encourage that passage of time. You know, like the the time you need to heal, the time you need to train in AD&D, it forces you to spend more time in that world, you know, and it forces that, that calendar forward. And I think, like, what that then does is you're also figuring out what you're doing with that time. Like, we've had you know, in our uh, games, players, when um, other players have been training, you know, uh, it's given the other players opportunities to go and take care of, you know, tasks, like report checking in with, uh, you know, quest givers, or uh, I, I'm talking about them like they're uh, MMO, you know, characters, or um, like World of Warcraft characters, but, you know, there's role-playing that's involved there too, and um, those players, and because the, the system doesn't it really is is a lot more lethal than uh, more modern games. You can't really go out on your own, so you do need to kind of wait for your allies, but you've often got more than enough t- stuff to keep yourself occupied during that time. There's things you can do to, uh, to um, you know, make that, that downtime interesting, apart from just training. And I, um, you know, and if you're a DM with, um, you know, with a sort of, where you, where you want to create like story hooks and stuff like that in your sandbox, it's like this is the opportunity for them to go through that. They, they you have events go up. You can create random uh, encounter tables that uh, have events happen during it, and that's awesome. I mean, like you know, they're, where they're, the players know they're going to be stuck in town for a couple of weeks. It's a cool way of making that a more interesting time for those who aren't just spending that time training, and you don't have that time necessarily uh, at where. You differentiate between the constant adventure and the passage of time, that like montage of like, well, and then two weeks or three weeks pass. And even if the players do nothing, like it doesn't take anything away from them. If the players just, you know, fart around town for the two weeks or three weeks that their allies are training, nothing lost there. You know, maybe they, they work to they engage in their uh, profession. I think going back to. AD&D second at least because of the proficiencies and probably from AD&D first with the, the introduction of the proficiency system in um, Dungeoneer Survival Guide uh, Wilderness Survival Guide and uh, 
uh, oriental adventures, you've got ways of earning income from those different skills. So there's things already that are kind of suggested by the games as to what you can do to occupy your time, you know, during the downtime or what your character's doing. And, you know, I mean, the backgrounds, I guess, are maybe a way of thinking of doing that in uh, both uh, AD&D 2nd and then I, I can't remember what they call it in Pathfinder. It's not backstory, but it's Pathfinder 2nd calls it something else, I think. Maybe it is background. But anyway, maybe it's Starfighter that calls it something different. I'm confusing the two. But in any event, um, yeah, I just, I mean, I, I think that there is, again, like my bias is obviously towards this sort of, this longer term play. And uh, the reason being is because I, you know, I I so rarely get a chance to run games that, that last all that long. You I think this is true of most DMs that you you know you get only a few kicks at that uh, you know, over the course of your uh, your DMing career, and a game that has more you know that has things that add to that long term game or add to that feeling of the passage of time. Um, I I just love that. Like I really really think that's that's something that adds uh, an element of verisimilitude to the campaign. Um, as opposed to a game that doesn't consider that stuff whatsoever, and you just you have to sort of structure that in as a as a story part. But again, I mean, like if you know, there's obviously um, for for uh, some players that's what you care about is the short term, and games like Conan, you know, two D twenty, and um, gosh, I'm trying to think what other games that sh- that focus on that short term. Because it's focused on the short-term story. And, and short-term it shouldn't be taken as a pejorative way of, of understanding it. It's focused on short stories, you know. Um, the short stories may be connected, but the mechanics are only concerned with the um, ebb and flow of those resources over a short period of time, not a long period of time. I read a, a house rule that one of the designers for 4th edition, that he, what he, he used to do, because in 4th edition was a lot like... Uh, uh, D&D 5th where you kind of got everything back your, all your hit dice and then you could you know use those to recover your hit points all your spells all your other stuff you got all that shit back after one night's uh, one long rest that's where that long rest short rest stuff from AD&D 5th comes from is from 4th but the what he did is uh, when people were traveling he extended a long rest to either being a week or to when people were in town that you couldn't do a long rest um, the uh, Middle Earth an adaptation for 5th edition D&D that's published by Cubicle 7. That likewise has adopted that where you can't take a long rest when you're traveling. You're just you're not in a circumstance where you can actually regain those those points back and um, that's really interesting. I think it's an interesting way of working with that system to make it so that the passage of time has consequence. You can feel that um, in mechanically in your character. You know, um, and I, the rules as written. If you run D and D fifth, you run uh, Pathfinder two as written. You don't. You just don't. You know that that just isn't a thing. And as much as you know, I I get why people want all that cool stuff. They want to play up front. Um, you know, you want those cool powers. You want to be able to uh, to unload with your you know your feel like a badass magician and blah blah blah. But I mean. What that also does <clears throat> is by front-loading all those cool powers and by kind of 
not flattening, because certainly ADD 5th doesn't do this, but Pathfinder 2nd does to a degree where the experience of play you get at first level is kind of similar to what you're getting at higher level. You know, you're getting more powers, you're getting better spells, you're getting other things, but the actual ebb and flow of, of combat, you know, against less powerful adversaries, more powerful adversaries, against a, a balanced kind of combat encounter that will have fun tactical depth, it's going to kind of remain very similar from first level all the way to 20th, uh, the same way it used to in uh, a D&D 4th. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know, like that, that's, if that's a, the, the, the game you're going for. But what the old school uh, does instead is it shows that it shows that gradual progression from zero to hero. And it's, that's criticized quite a, you know, I've criticized it in the past of being like, oh, it's so unrealistic for your character to be going from zero level to suddenly, you know, God-shaking uh, or earth-shaking God-powerful characters. Having run these games now, though, um, it takes a lot longer than you expect. You know, like, you're not zipping up levels in old-school games the way you did in modern games. And, like, uh, we have been playing, uh, as of today, we've been playing Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea for uh, 30 sessions, playing 90 hours of that game. And our highest-level character is still fifth. And uh, each of those levels, yeah, you gain more XP from the higher level adversaries you're facing, but each of those characters is uh, gaining, you know, is a substantially larger amount you need to hit your next level, so um, so th- the pace of play is a lot slower. Our Night Below campaign, we have been playing for uh, 26 sessions, I believe, and our highest level character is third. So the you know, the the thing about, like, oh, well, your character goes from, you know, zero level to such a catastrophic power, it's so unrealistic for those same characters to go through that. Well, maybe if you're not tracking, if that all happens in the span of a year, or it happens in the span of a short period, but, you know, with the training rules, it there's going to be a lot of time passing for each of those, uh, you know, for each of those characters. So, like, if, if it takes you three weeks to to train to reach or say a week per level that you're reaching well at those higher levels you're spending good chunks of your year training to to get your character up to, to that level and, and you know your dm may also introduce some things that are happening during that training period you know there, there's events that will take you away from it that you'll have to deal with but uh i kind of like that i mean like that's even if you have, i don't know what the, the breakout numbers are, but uh, if you sat down and, and worked out what the, um, you know, how many weeks it is for each level, it, it's a substantial, it's years of training you would need to get to those levels in-game, not not counting the adventuring time as well, too, so, um, so I, it's, it's less, and also, I mean, like, I don't know, you know, um, playing to 20th level in uh, these old school games takes a fuck ton longer to get to there than what it does in these modern games, where you just play through the full cycle of the game and I guess that's the interesting thing there is that uh, you know I, I've talked about how my the interesting sort of pace of uh, or not pace but the, the, the place of uh, play the, the range of play for levels is that sweet spot between like 5th or 7th and uh, 12th where that's sort of that seemed to be the optimal play uh, period and that's what uh, one of the things that showed up in the survey from uh, D&D Next was that, that that seemed to be sort of the, the sweet spot range for a lot of those, uh, a lot of players. And 
I, um, yeah, I mean, it's, um, it's interesting to, to think that with these old school games, you're just, you spend so much more time at those levels. You spend so much more time at them because it's a slower pace of play. And yeah, I don't know. Um, and what you get from that, from those requirements is not only a motivation for what you're doing with your gold, because you're not really making unmatched items. At higher level, you, you, you probably are. But at low levels, like, what are you doing with your gold? Are you hoarding it? Are you banking? Are you, you know, hirelings? Hirelings don't cost that much. So um, what the training does is not only offer a good offload for the gold, but it also provides a, um, you know, a, a way of quote-unquote realistically or at least more immersively letting the time pass there's less excuses for things to take you out of the game you know less of that like really we're we're so i you know in the span of a a month i've gone from first to fifth level uh because you know there's so much adventure happening each day um and that's and you know if you're running a story-based game that is not a big deal you know it's not a big deal if that is uh um if that's the way you're running your game, because you're going to have story-enforced or story-dictated breaks in your game. But if you're running a sandbox, it's harder because the, the mechanics do not slow characters down. So, anyway, I mean, I, yeah, I guess I, I really was trying not to not to make this a um, bitching about you know uh, modern games because again, like I, whatever my feelings are with respect to fifth edition, Pathfinder Two is fucking awesome. It's a really great game. And when you lean into what it does well and you design adventures around what it does well, it is super, super fun. But I wonder whether the focus... Actually, the one thing I do when, that I really don't like about Pathfinder 2 is the level system. I hate how uh, it only takes 1,000 XP to get up, which means it's going to be... Because the way you award XP in that game is a flat amount that is based on a ratio of the challenge that each um, you know that each adversary is so what that means is that because everything is in relation to your level it means you should be if you're designing an equal amount of you know equally challenging encounters for each level then it means you are um, you're going to be raising absent other factors like you know um like uh, uh, story taking longer the higher level you get or whatever combat's taking longer um, it should take you the same amount of encounters at each level to gain to the next level because it is a flat 1000 thing what that facilitates is a passage through each of those levels and really maximizes the that short term play and the short cycle between default and um you know, uh, and, uh, expending those resources and back to default. So, um, so when you're designing, uh, campaigns, you know, either what you're doing is, is designing a series of set piece things like what, uh, you do with, um, Pathfinder second edition adventure paths. Um, or you got to make substantial changes to how the, the game works to facilitate a proper sandbox because part of the sandboxing stuff I think is the passage of time. That's what gives that activity meaning is is that there are times when you do not have access to those resources and times when you do and times when you marshal those resources. And without a more lengthy pace of uh, or uh, you know, pacing of that stuff, then 
yeah, it just it, it just it just becomes this disconnect between the the realistic, immersive, responsive world you're trying to portray, and what the mechanics are telling your characters. You know that no, you're back to normal. No, you're back to normal. So again, I, I think that's the problem with the sandboxing and um, yeah, I don't know sandboxing with modern games. And why I think that you have to, you have so many of these games that, uh, for 5th edition that have come out to try and simulate that old school style of play. It's because it's just the, the game fundamentally, um, the cycle of play is the thing that stands in the way of simulating the, the responsive um, and, uh, rea- and, and realistic, you know, quote unquote realistic world that you get in a sandbox. So, anyway. I think that's probably enough. I mean, and again, that, that did come out a lot more that uh, in favor of the old school games than it is the modern games. Um, it requires less work. And obviously my bias here is that I'm really, really, really enjoying the campaigns that are sandbox campaigns. So maybe that's a good time to pause uh, this discussion here and then move on to the state of play and talk about where uh, where things are in our current games. All right, so let's turn to the state of play. So the state of play is, um, <laughs> in a word, disrupted uh, this week. So in the last, um, I guess since my last um, episode or last uh, episode of the podcast, the um, uh, we, let's see here, we've, as I said in the earlier segment, we have uh, transitioned um, away from a couple of the games we were running. Um, I did have another session of our... Uh, Actually, I think we're, I otherwise was caught up. The games are, that have been put on hiatus, maybe I can talk about that. So um, the Pathfinder 2nd Edition uh, Innistrad campaign has been put on hiatus. Uh, the uh, Astonishing Snow, no, that one's still going. Uh, the, um, what's it called? Uh, the, is this the one I want here? Yes, it is. Uh, the... Not Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerer's Hyperborea. That one is still going on. And the reason, you know, you may wonder why I've kept one of the weekend games as opposed to, uh, and and then scheduled uh, or adjourned the other ones. reason is because we regularly have like seven or eight players at the Ash uh, campaign. So I didn't feel like I needed to try and find more. You know, all I'd be doing is putting a bunch of um, players who do make every weekend, you know, out to pasture for the sake of just having other people. And that didn't make sense. Um, it's the other games where we have like three or four players total. That's where it just made sense to open the tables up to have more. So what, um, yeah, what we did is, uh, what's this guy doing here? What are you doing, buddy, buddy? Um, what we uh, have done is uh, put that Pathfinder 2nd Edition on uh, hiatus, uh, and that we'll get back to that when all of this settles down. And that campaign's going pretty well as well. Like I, I, uh, that's the one where we're doing different stories set in the gothic horror setting of uh, Innistrad. And the reason that that gets around uh, my issue with the leveling of 2nd uh, Edition is because I've got no expectation that characters are really going to level anytime soon. The characters may gain levels at some point, um, but it's going to be strictly at a at my discretion. I'm, not, I'm completely ignoring the uh, uh, mile, the mile, milestone, the uh, character system, and and more importantly, the or the XP system. More importantly, the characters are not going to um, uh, they're not going to gain any um, 
XP throughout the thing. I don't have to worry about tracking XP or over-awarding, and I don't have to worry about them leveling up in between. Because the problem I have with those, with gaining levels in those staged games is that, uh, at least in the middle of story, is that it the characters, when it when it's a game like Pathfinder 2 or it's a game like uh, Starfinder, where a lot of the, the math that underlies the system is dependent on being relative to the character's level. Uh, when you do go up in a level, it changes the dynamics of the of this game, you know. So, uh, if I just set a set number and stay there for the time being, that's fine. And I mean, for games where the um, what do you call it? So games where the you know we're spending lots of time, you know, ten sessions or more at a certain level in these level based these old school level based games tells me I don't need to be having characters go up too quickly and. What that means is breaking the rules for how they do XP. So, yeah, I mean, one, one, I've got some ideas I wouldn't mind, exp- or I kind of enjoy them as a thought experiment of like doubling the XP required for each level. Uh, so you're spending more and more time at each of your levels as you're going up. Um, but I mean, like, if you're doing that already, why not just abandon the XP system altogether and just, you know, have the Pathfinder 2nd Edition characters go up when you want them to go up? That's probably the easiest, uh, you know, easiest way of managing that. Um, the, let's see here. Uh, the other system, the other game that's put on hiatus is our, um, uh, let's see here, a Dracula Dossier campaign played with Cult. And uh, I've raved about this before, and I continue to, to really enjoy that campaign. It's really good, uh, really good group. Um, the only downside is it's uh, the the group has intentionally limited itself to a very few players to try and focus on some other some very specific games and cycle through more games. And uh, I'm not sure I want to do that, to be honest. Uh, I you know I I do enjoy having a lot of different games and whatnot, but. Um, I think that for now, I, you know, last year we, we played a whole bunch of different games. We got a chance to try out a whole bunch of different things. I'm not sure I want to continue doing that. You know, uh, the, the satisfaction and the enjoyment I'm getting out of spending time letting, uh, you know, us, um, letting us just play certain games, uh, especially these old school games, is just enormously gratifying. I'm really enjoying preparing for them, running them. You know, um, it's a great game, and also I, I really like that we can fit a great, uh, you know, a big uh, table of players, and most importantly, a rotating cast of players, really without difficulty. You know, I, I in any of our sessions, we've rarely had difficulty uh, dealing with the amount of players that we had at the available for any given session. I have not canceled or uh, rewritten, you know, f- uh, rewritten a, a game or whatnot for any of the old school games that I've, for not for uh, AD&D 2nd, not for um, Ash, you know, and any of the times we've run it. So, you know, that says a lot about a game that it, it can weather, um, you know, the absence of a player or two uh, and, and can be very easily adjusted. Or it just forces the characters to adjust their tactics in response to that. So, um I, I expect to get back to Dracula, sort of cycle around back to Dracula. So I do expect to get back to that at some point and finishing once all this, this current COVID uh, crisis is is over. Um, but I, um, yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying that game. The other game uh, we put on uh, hiatus for the um, 
for the duration of the crisis is the modern age game. And uh, since then, I've had one player say that uh, he's not he's not interested in coming back to the the game, which is fine. Um, we've missed a couple sessions uh, for that one, so it's understandable that there's you know we um, unfortunately I had of all the games that one falls on a Sunday, and Sunday is most often the time when I'm going to be pinched by my uh, work requirements and work obligations, and unfortunately that one uh, I've had to cancel. I can't remember if I canceled it twice because of work or once because of health and once because of work, but in any event, I uh, we canceled it twice. This would have been the third time, and the player said, no, it's just too much, uh, and uh, wasn't uh, interested in playing in the in the, uh, the other the Crystal Shard uh, game that we're running. Uh, so uh, I think that one's done. Um, and I'm not, uh, I'm not heartbroken. I'm, I, I'm going to miss the player, uh, for one. He's a great guy and he's been a great player as well too. And it's unfortunate that the, you know, the sort of fates don't align, uh, with what our, uh, what our, both our mutual interests are. And, but, um, the more I ran modern age, uh, the more I was reminded of some of the things I didn't like about running dragon age. Uh, and having run a bunch of other games in the last little while too, um, I find that Modern Age is uh, the age system in general. Uh, I find to be a lot more finicky than I'm than I want out of a game. Um, it's sort of it reminds me a lot of the Fantasy Flight Star Wars stuff, where there are you know some concessions towards a story game style of of play particularly with the, this really kind of neat in concept stunt mechanic. But the, the thing I find is that in the practical application of the system is so bogged down by, by the particulars of it that it just, it is very cumbersome to, to run. Um, I think that you can make a, if this, if the players and everyone else was really committed to learning the system hard and, uh, and you know, and playing it a lot uh, to to learn and master those those um, nuances of the stunt mechanics, so that they don't you're not spending so much time looking at a sheet. But like the game at default has like four pages of uh, of different options for spending stunt mechanics, depending on the different circumstances. And I just you know there is an option to its credit. There's an option in the players one of the um, compendiums for the modern age compendium to modify that to the way it plays so, so that it plays with um, more of an improvised uh, use of uh, stunt mechanics and that's that's cool but um, my goodness like it just eesh, I uh, yeah it, it I did I found it very cumbersome and the players uh, at least a couple of players didn't quite uh, have the system mastered at the time uh, we played too, so it made a lot of like rule mistakes and stuff like that. And like it's understandable because there is, because of all those different permutations, there's a lot of nuances to the game that just complicate things. And um, for a game that presents itself as a fast-moving, you know, kind of action game, it's like it, it felt like it had the same level of complexity, a different type of complexity, albeit, but it felt like it had the same level of complexity as like D20 Modern. And I don't think D20 Modern does a very good job of, of running a, I have nostalgic reasons for loving that game, but it doesn't do a very good job of simulating 
a um, you know action kind of game. It, it really bogs down in the, the particulars of the D20 system of the that third edition D&D kind of style of play. And um, yeah, I mean, so I um, I'm not the threefold setting was pretty cool. I enjoyed the characters that, that the character, the guys made enormously. They were really a lot of fun. And, uh, and I love the players. Like the players are all great players. Just the, uh, I'm not sure I'm going to, um, be rushing to get that particular game system back to the table anytime soon. Um, I might do more. I'm, and I'm not sure there's, it's, there's more of a debrief to do about that. Like it's, uh, the game itself was, um, it's fine. Like if you, if you're not as concerned with, uh, simplicity of play as what I feel like I want out of a game. And I know this is, and that said as someone who runs AD&D second, but I mean, there's, I honestly, I don't think that AD&D second is as complex as what uh, modern age is. There's just a lot of fiddly bits that, that go on with it. So, um, so yeah, so anyway, so I'm, I'm not, um, and oh, you know, the other thing is too, is that having a level based thing in a modern game is just, very weird, you know, um, you can set it so it doesn't fit to your, um, it doesn't fit to your character's, uh, hit points, so it's not like you're playing a D20 style game where, like, you're gaining more hit points and you're taking more damage for each level, um, but you can do that, there's three different modes, I've, I've mentioned Modern Age before, like, it's interesting that there's, uh, three different modes of play you can play in, so, like, there are some, there's some neat ideas in the game. I just, I don't particularly for myself like how they come out in the wash at the table. So, um, as much as I, I'm, I am going to, you know, miss playing with, uh, uh, the player who's not playing anymore. Fortunately, uh, one of the other players who was in that campaign has since joined our crystal shard game. So he, we're, I'm still going to see him, uh, and probably more than what I, uh, would with just the one campaign. And then the other player, um, is a longtime friend, like who I've known forever, and he's been really sporadic in attendance for the last little while, anyway. So um, it's not like we're missing <laughs> from that game, anyway. So, so I don't know what I'm going to do with uh, Sundays afterwards. You know, with that particular Sunday, uh, that is a problem for another day. There's a lot of time and um, a lot of stuff to get through, particularly with the current crisis, just to get through to before we. I have to worry about that, but I I'm going to consider what I want to do with my Sundays afterwards. And part of it as well, too, is, um, you know, with um, I, what I want to be able to do is uh, do a better job of identifying the games that I will be interested in going the long haul with because uh, they're by trying out about a bunch of different games. If I don't like a game, I don't feel any obligation to finish playing it. It becomes apparent to me pretty quickly whether the game is going to grok with my style of play and what I, I like to run. And the I, th- I I well I think I know a lot of people are more willing to uh, say like well we'll play through this adventure and then we'll we'll be done with it and I just I don't see why you need to once you know if something is in a fit why why continue on with it uh, and I need to try and identify um, for the for the sake of being fair to my players I want to try and identify games that I will be interested in in running for the long haul um, there are games that we can do you know, like the, what the idea behind our rotating, um, cast of, uh, of games for, you know, uh, for our other Sunday group, uh, is a good idea. And, and there's a lot of us who do like trying a lot of games, but I, I think I like more playing, um, a long-term game. 
Um, I really enjoyed, if it wasn't for the uh, sort of uh, a player dropping out and then us kind of losing the track of uh, Starfinder, I would have continued running Starfinder, um, you know, for the foreseeable future because I, I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, that game. Um, it just a couple players weren't enjoying what I was presenting, so that uh, <laughs> that was, you know, they wanted to go back to the adventure path. I didn't want to go back to the adventure path, and uh, yeah, that just... Uh, interest did not align there. So if I can try and find a way to uh, to do a better job of me, uh, identifying for myself, but, you know, sometimes that requires you getting stuff to the table and um, that requires a lot of one-shots and that requires a lot of work, you know. And uh, one of the other reasons, in addition to offering people the uh, uh, more opportunities to get to the table as well too, not for nothing, the Crystal Shark campaign, which we run with AD&D 2nd Edition requires a great deal less work on my part. You know, one of the things with these uh, short-term versus long-term games, and this, I think, just also relates maybe more so to the uh, tactical depth of the games as opposed to the short-term, long-term, but it requires a great deal more constant planning uh, because if you're going to be running a tactically heavy game, um, in a game that has a complex set of tactical rules, you need to plan for those rules. You can't just wing it because it'll um, it, you will not get the response because you're not taking the time to think through what the unintended consequences are. Um, the reason I'm, I'm enjoying these uh, modern games more is because the, because they are so simulationist more so than gamist uh, the way that uh, like Pathfinder is or say a story game is or something like that. Uh, it means that I can intuitively figure out what will work and not work as an encounter um, without having to fully calculate through all the permutations of like this is the CR of this encounter and this is how many levels of creatures I want to add and whatever. I can more easily and loosely transition into violence and out of violence in those games. So, And the consequences of violence last longer in old school games too with the um, because you're not, again, not getting back to that cycle through to the first point. So more of the game is spent dealing with the consequences of that violence, I guess, uh, than just being able to go back and, and engage back in violence again. I hadn't thought of that, you know, until just now, but I mean, I guess that's another thing is the you're dealing with the consequences of your violence a lot longer. The, the, you get through those sessions faster because ADD uh, plays faster than modern games. But, um, but yeah, I guess you're dealing with and living with the consequences of that longer, which may serve as a deterrent for you engaging in further violence, you know? So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, that, uh, I guess the last thing I'll mention is that play by post game. So that was intended to be something to sort of, uh, you know, my, my idea at first was that, okay, well, We'll start this, and then like once a day we'll post, and then we'll kind of play on. And it became a bit of an obsessive thing where I was posting a lot. Uh, we only had four players, but the same thing. Four players were posting a shit ton the first little bit. We got into some dice rolling. Um, what the setup for that particular campaign was, uh, was using City of Mist to, um, uh, to, mo- to run a basically DC universe uh, Golden Age uh, adventure. Uh, so the characters were playing Golden Age heroes, and I mentioned in the last uh, podcast about what the characters were, so if you're interested in hearing more about the particulars of that one, you can go back there. But what I found is that by the end of the first week, um, we kind of, everyone stopped posting on it, so it kind of ground to a halt. So I'm not uh, I'm not really, you know, I'm not really, uh, I just said, like, look, you know what, this is a good experiment. Um, the amount of effort that I'm spending on that, I could be spending on other things. Um, 
and also like you know to be honest like everyone else I'm experiencing stress uh, in the day job because of the current work circumstances uh, of having to work from home and um, it's also happened to have hap- happened to have occurred at one of my busiest months so it's just a bit of a gong show at the day job too so having something that is easier to run and something that isn't uh, uh, you know chewing up a lot of my time um, is going to be a better fit that said I don't, so I don't think I'd ever run uh, play by post again it just it's, it chews up so much time uh, and it's time I could be spending running games and I would much rather do that than I would just be you know typing up stuff um, but I did the system and the game and the setting were fucking awesome. I really want to try that with an in-person or on like by in-person, I mean online, but an online game. Cause that is awesome. It is a really a city of mist is a great system. And, um, the, what do you call it? Uh, the, yeah, city of mist is a great system. Um, the, uh, setting was was great. Uh, the, I've got the mystery set out for it, so it'd be interesting to see characters play through. It's not maybe it's not great having just pre made characters for them, but I mean, like they need to. If you're going to play in the DC universe, you're going to play DC characters. So I guess I, you can't really get around that. So anyway, that's the state of play for for those games. Um, we uh, right now. Uh, maybe what I'll do is I'll end this. Uh, thing talking about our crystal shard game and the first couple of uh, the first couple of sessions we've had for it so i'll end this state of play here and finish up with another state of play all right so last thing i guess i'll talk about is this um our our sort of replacement game i've I've sort of alluded to what we what we got going on uh with it but we what i said is you know i i left it to the guys to say look uh the the roster of players uh, look, this is um, kind of what I'd like to do is to give more opportunities for more people to, to kind of hop on. And some people were not um, were not keen on that, but I kind of vetoed them um, on it. And what we've seen is uh, actually a lot of interest in playing the game. And the idea is is we play for as long as the duration of this thing goes. You know, I've said about three or four weeks, but it really is looking like it may, you know, this whole crisis it may go on for longer. So... Who knows how long uh, it's going to go, but we certainly have more than enough uh, time and material to get through at least like six weeks of, you know, three um, or uh, three sessions every uh, two weeks. Um, and ADD Second is uh, uh, the my favorite old school game. Full stop is Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperbolia. I, I absolutely love that game. It is a fucking great game. Um, Again, like I use some house rules, but it's it's a phenomenal game, phenomenal setting. Um, AD and D Second Edition has been a real pleasure to run over the last uh, couple of year, couple of months, not years. Um, and not only because it's you know it, it's there's a just a ton of material to go through for the game and lots of things you can incorporate and lots of different settings. Uh, it I love that it runs on autopilot, and I love that it. Uh, uh, what do you call it? Um, what's this, sweetie? What's this? Come here. Um, sorry, my dog got a puppuccino. A lucky, lucky pup. And it's um, it's so easy to play, and you can play so many different, you know, so many different types of characters in it. And um, it's just it's so much fun at the table. You know, like the the experience we've had playing Night Below for the last uh, four months. Um, has just really hit exactly the kind of 
um, action and danger and, you know, character development and setting development, story, you know, um, development um, that, that I really, you know, uh, I want from a high fantasy game. Uh, I love that the characters don't feel like superheroes, but they do feel pretty badass. You know, the way we're, we're generating stats for the characters allow them to be a little uh, cut above the normal. Uh, they're pretty competent at all their proficiencies. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I, it, it has been an, an enormous amount of fun and more so than I, I've, I, you know, would have with other, uh, fantasy games. Like I, uh, as a whole package, the overall experience with AD&D second is for me, preferable to Pathfinder two, preferable to, um, you know, uh, Pathfinder one, uh, D&D fifth, certainly, um, D&D fourth, certainly. And, yeah, basic as well too. Like it just, I, I really, really enjoy running this game, and I, it's cool seeing the, you know, seeing a, a nice short, fun, story-driven campaign like um, Crystal, the Legacy of the Crystal Shard, because it, it'll, I'm interested in seeing a beginning and end to this particular uh, campaign. And our first two sessions, one of them was just character creation, which was, you know, it was good. I mean, it was character creation, so you know, that was that. But the second one was our first actual session, and it was a really uh, challenging combat encounter where the guys were taking on a bunch of Yeti, and Yeti are really dangerous as far as first-level characters go. But it was it was really fucking fun. Like players were having it was there was some tactical elements to it, and the thing that I find the most fun about this this old school style of play is. You know, people talk a lot about how, like, oh, it you know encourages creativity, encourages creativity, and blah blah blah. Um, but it's it's not, you know, it really does. Like because players can achieve neat things by interacting with the fiction in the same way you kind of do in a, in a story based game. It really encourages a more free form, uh, you know, head and story style of play. And there was some really cool stuff that happened in the first session, like the players knowing that if they got to stabilize characters, they could save them. So they were saving some guards, uh, you know, who were being taken out by these yetis, um, which is great because, I mean, there's going to be story consequence for that. Uh, They, uh, one of them kind of convinced some guards to go with him. So he had like a little, you know, mini squad that was with him. Unfortunately, they failed their morale save against the yeti. So they went running (laughs) at the first opportunity. Um, And... Yeah, I mean, and like the the interesting thing that that I realized from the session is that healing in those old school games is not about the short term; it's the long term. Your healing is not about like World of Warcraft style, and I don't say that in a pejorative way. I love World of Warcraft. I don't play it anymore because I need to have a job. Um, but I lo- like the the fun and tactical healing you get in that, and in like fourth edition D anD D, third edition, fifth edition to a degree. And in Pathfinder 2, where there is this ebb and flow of health goes down, health goes up, that style of tactical play is not the way healing works in old school games. Healing is there as an emergency aid, not as a routine part of every combat. And that's what it is in modern games. Because the focus is on the long term, using those healing spells to, to bolster people after combat or to prevent someone from dying in combat. It's not there to foster this up and down kind of, you know, combat dynamic, which is basically just, it's a, uh, you know, those other games are combat simulators. All these games are combat simulators to one degree or another, but these modern games are much more involved combat simulators. And one of the players had uh, commented afterwards, the guy playing the 
um, healer that, oh, this is, boy, my healer really sucks in this. And they, that got me thinking, and I'm like, oh, no, no, it's just, it's not that you suck in it, it's that healing does a different thing in AD&D than it does in these other games. It doesn't serve to have you tip the, keep the players up long enough to be able to drop the enemies the way healing does in World of Warcraft or some of these other games. Your healing is there to, to like I said, to prevent someone from dying, uh, to top up after fights to keep players in fighting form. It isn't really there. Uh, you can use it during combat to keep someone topped up, but it's not really a super optimal way of doing that. Or it's risky, at least, because you're rolling random amounts for your healing. So um, the healer is asking the players in any of my old school games how necessary a, a healer is. Not so much in Astonishing Swordsman and Sorcerers of Hyperborea, but because of the way we, you know, certain rules we use, but... Um, you know, which blunt the, the the hit point drain. You can use Astonishing Fortune to, to basically ignore hits. Um, but the necessity of a healer in some of those other games is their absence is felt keenly by uh, the groups that do not have a cleric or had a cleric miss a session or especially priest miss a session. So it's just a different type of healing, which it, it fits up with a different type of combat. The combat in, in those games is not a that fun you know, um, involves a game of attrition where you're trying to use heals to keep, keep people upright in order to be, to deal out damage long enough to drop an enemy. Um, now Pathfinder first is not quite as much like that either. There's more healing in that. So Pathfinder one is a closer analog, I think to, um, to, uh, uh, AD&D second. It just, it's a little more dynamic where the heals do become a little more critical um, during the actual combat. But um, yeah, in comparison to 5e or Pathfinder 2, where mid-session, mid-combat heals are important, um, it's just not its not quite the same. So yeah, so that game has... Uh, we got our next session of that tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a really exciting uh, game. Um, well, I know it's going to be an exciting game. It's been just... It's been a, a shit ton of fun, and we've, we've really got to the meat of the role-playing now, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how the players respond to that. There's a lot of shit going on in the Icewind Dale, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they choose to deal with. So, anyway, that is the Legacy of the Crystal Shard campaign. So, the last thing I should mention, I, I, which I forgot to, I think, in the body of this uh, very uh, scattered kind of episode, is that uh, we have been continuing on with our AD&D 2nd edition uh, campaign playing the night below um, mega adventure and that has been going really really well uh, we uh, we hit episode 26 of that uh, the other day and um, yeah I mean like we're our, our heroes are between 2nd and 3rd level and that campaign is just an enormous amount of fun to run uh, it's been a very different uh, experience running this than uh, a lot of the modern games in the sense that I have uh, the type of prep and the type of I don't know like the the the, ex the type of engagement at the table is is very different I feel than the modern in the sense that I'm not designing necessarily like tactical encounters in the sense of like balancing by game mechanics I'm creating tactical encounters that make more you know, uh, common sense or instinctual, they, that they feel balanced. Uh, and this led to actually our, I think I mentioned earlier on this episode, the, a, a recent fight that lasted 36, um, 
rounds, which is crazy because that represents about six minutes of actual in-time play with the length of rounds that we play with. And it was very, very, very fun uh, for the length of it. It really... You know, there was it, it was not a static uh, encounter where people were just hitting each other. Uh, it was mobile. The the heroes realized, I guess, when they were fighting this thing that they were having a great deal of difficulty actually hurting it. So they made, formed a uh, sort of an orderly withdrawal with their tank uh, sort of holding uh, on point at the end. And yeah, it was very very exciting. Uh, really good uh, game. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't have much more to add. I think I've, I've talked at length about the uh, the old school games here too. Um, and I, I guess the, the thing I'll add is, or I'll conclude with, is that I am, you know, right now this is the these games are the ones that seem to fit best for the. Oh, we had our, you know, since our, our my since I recorded the first part of this, we did have our first session of uh, our second session of the Crystal Shard with, uh, nine players showing up, and it was, it was also that one we are running with AD&D 2nd Edition as well, and it was fantastic. Really, really good session. Um, we, you know, there's some who are kind of fitting their, there's some who are kind of fitting the, you know, getting their feet with, uh, or getting their legs, as it were, with respect to, like, playing in such a big group, but, man, like, good role-playing all around, um, and fun, like really fun energy, having that many uh, players at the table, even digitally. Uh, but they, yeah, they dove right into the story of the, or the mystery, uh, that's, or not mystery, I guess it's just a story, different story threads that are going on on this, uh, in the game, and yeah, it's great, going really, really well. Um, but that's probably it, you know, I think that's that's it for this episode, I, I keep uh, adding little things on, but I should probably just put a pin in this, call it an episode, and start talking about something else. Um, in the next episode. So I don't, uh, I normally try and upload these on uh, Monday or Tuesday, uh, but just this with the way things are right now with everyone working from home, the, the time I normally spend to record these, which is my commute, is is gone. So I, I will be trying to record these uh, on a more regular basis to try and, you know, uh, intentionally make time for this. But um, if I don't, um, that, that will be the reason why. I hope that uh, this finds you all yeah, well, uh, healthy, safe, and uh, you know, doing well, all things considered. I know this is a really scary time for, for a lot of us, but I hope that you found some distraction in hearing me yap about our nerdy gaming stuff that uh, we've had going on in the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, as well as my thoughts on um, how, uh, yeah, uh, one way of looking at the difference between modern games and, and old school games. So um, till I, uh, if, if you have any comments, questions, or concerns regarding this episode, please don't hesitate to leave a comment. Um, uh, by voicemail uh, on Anchor. Uh, you can also reach me by Twitter at Dungeon Musings. You can also reach me by email. My email address is dungeonmusings at gmail.com. And uh, if you go to any of the recent videos on the Dungeon Musings YouTube channel, you can find uh, a link to the Dungeon Musings Discord server where you can find all of us yapping about uh, all these different games and many of the issues that I'm talking about in this uh, episode. So I hope this finds you all well. And until I talk to you again, happy gaming.